If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of John. We're going to start in John chapter 3, verse 16. Like I said, don't be impressed. It's one of the few I've memorized. I'll be up on the screen if you don't have your Bibles with you. We're going to start with looking at it in the, in, the, in the ESV, but I also want to read it in the message because it's so very powerful and, and it's a little long, so we're going to have it on two different screens. So we're ready. Here we go. For God so loved the world. So loved. Not just loved. So loved. He so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever, 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 anyone, anywhere, anytime, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now we love 316, but 317 is just as important. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Let's read it in the message. It's super powerful. This is how much God loved the world. This is how much. Just so you know how much God loves the entire world. He gave his son, his one and only son. And this is why. So that no one need be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and everlasting life. And then it continues, I believe. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it is. He came to help, to put the world right again. Oh, man. That gets me excited. I, I, that, just, that stirs something inside of me that God did not send his son to point an accusing finger at the world and remind them of how bad they are. He did not come, I did not come this morning to point an accusing finger at any of you to tell you how bad you are. God did not point his accusing finger at me this morning to remind me of how bad I am. He came to set things right. And this morning I hope that we can adjust our perspective and adjust the way we look at things and set things right. When I think of the phrase, so loved, that's the kind of dad I want to be. I want to be the kind of dad that so loves his kids, it's annoying. Okay? Kids, right now, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Okay? If you've got parents that so love you, you hate it. Okay? If you're junior high, high school, and you've got parents that so love you, it drives you crazy. Okay, because I'm going to be the kind of dad, I've already told Conlon this, because Conlon, he's my bigger of my boys, he's my oldest, but he's also the one who's built like me, and I said, son, I don't care how big and strong you get, when I drop you off at school, you will hug me, and if I have to chase you down, tackle you, and wrestle a hug out of you, it's going to happen, because I so love you. I recognize that I so loved my kids when my middle son, Easton, started playing soccer, now, if any of you have had kids that play, that, that, and you've seen, like, first-year soccer, it's just one of the most extraordinary things ever. <laughs> it is. It's glorious. You take ten kids, and you smash them together, and then they just run around. And there's a ball somewhere in there, and, like, and then one falls over, and then, and then two more fall over, and then the ball squirts out. We don't really know how, but somehow it squirts out. And usually there's one kid who actually sees it and goes and runs after it. I love my Easton, but for the first few times, that was not him. That was not him. But the, the, the first time it was. 
The first time it was, it squirts out and he gets it and he awkwardly kicks that ball and there's no goalie and it accidentally happens to enter the goal. Um, and I go nuts. I go nuts. Like I'm screaming. If, if, I, if I wasn't a pastor, my shirt would have been off, running around, just screaming. Like I got on my phone, how, soccer trainers. Like he was it. Like it was it. Like, and I saw these other parents, like their kids scored and they're like, like you clearly do not so love your child. So love is annoying. So love is obnoxious. So love is so consistent and so big that it makes you feel uncomfortable. Perfect example. If my kids ever woke up and saw me standing there just watching them sleep for a, lo a lot longer than probably what's appropriate because they're just they're so cute. They kind of look like me, but much cuter. And it's like I played a part in making that. A very little part, but I played a part. And I just watch them sleep, and, and I just, I, I love them so much. Even when they're driving me nuts. I want to shake them and hug them at the same time. I don't know how you do that, but I want to. And I think that that's how God loves me. God loves me so much. On my worst day, on my best day, God loves me so much. And, it's, <laughs> and I got to thinking, like, how many nights God just stares at me? Did you ever think about that? The same way you parents, all of you parents have done it, don't lie. All of you parents have done it. You walk by, you go in to check on them, and then all of a sudden you realize, I've been standing here for quite a while. Just watching this beautiful little bundle of energy finally sleep. And then they stir and you're like, no, because you, you love them, but you want them to stay asleep. I wonder how many times God looks at us that way. Just a sheer joy and contentment that he's our, that we're his and he's ours. And I think that if we could recognize just for a minute how so loved we are, it would completely change the way we, re we relate to God. Because I think too many of us, if we were honest, think that God is too often the God pointing the accusing finger. Like, ah, you did it again. Which is me as a dad, and I even did it this morning, and I know what message I'm going to preach. And this morning, I'm just, I'm pointing the accusing finger at my kids because they're not doing what I want them to do in the way that I want them to do it in the time frame I want them to do it. And I'm pointing the accusing finger, and for that moment, I wonder, do they recognize how much I love them? And so it was convicting this morning that as much as I feel I so love, I have to demonstrate my so love. And oh, God is so good at demonstrating his so love. And when we look at this verse, I want to look at just a couple words, and then we're going to go to another story to wrap up our message this morning. And the, 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 wor the, the phrase world there in John 3.16, for God so loved the world, that word world means all of humanity. It means all of humanity, all the people. Because I, I, want you, I want to make something abundantly clear this morning. There's only two types of people in this world. Okay, it's not Republican, Democrat. There's only two kinds of people in this world. Those made in the image of God. And those who've said yes to Jesus and are his children. There's not a third option. Every single person that you come into contact with is an eternal being. That has an eternal destination 
and is made in the image of the God that if you've said yes to Jesus, that you say you love. So every single person that we come into contact with has a certain value already in place. I need to be treated as such. Now the Bible also tells us, because when I start talking about this topic to a lot of people, they bring up the verse, friendship with the world is enmity of God, which makes you the enemy of God, friendship of the world. What that verse is talking about there is the world system. The culture of the world. This word here is talking about the people of the world. Because no, we're not supposed to like the selfish, me-centered, money-centered, get more, take more, do it better type of world that we live in. We're not supposed to love that. But we're supposed to love all the unfortunate people stuck in this world with us. That's who we're supposed to love. And God says that I love them. I, no, no, no. I so love them. I obnoxiously love them. And I read a quote recently, and I wish I could remember who it was by. I should have written it down. I'm terrible at that. But it said that if we've said yes to Jesus, we don't have our own will anymore. We only have God's will. Anytime that we put our will in front of God's will, it's our idol. And God's will is that none should perish and that he so loves the world. Therefore, if God so loves the world, I believe that we should so obnoxiously love the world. With all their flaws, all their issues, because here's the deal. God so loves me with all of my flaws, with all of my issues, with all of my struggles. He so loves me, I should so love them. Another phrase that's really important in this section is the phrase eternal life. The phrase eternal life simply means to know God. Jesus says in John 17, 3, it'll be up on the screen here, it says, and this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is found in us knowing God. Now what's really cool is the story we're going to look at, the story of Hosea. In the book of Hosea, Hosea is a prophet and he tells God's people that God wants you to know him. And it's the phrase yada, Y-A-D-A. means to know. And it doesn't mean to intellectually understand. Because I use this, this, this analogy all the time. When I was younger, I was a huge Michael Jordan fan. Okay, don't challenge me. It's not LeBron James. It's not Steph Curry. It's not Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. It is Michael Jordan. He's the GOAT, greatest of all time, one and only. Don't argue with me, okay? Don't. And I used to know every stat. I used to know all the things about Michael Jordan, every single thing. Like, you could ask me, like, what was his shoe size in seventh grade? Boom, knew it. It was weird. It was creepy. I understand. But I, I intellectually knew him. I intellectually understood so many things about him, but I didn't have a relationship. And too many of us, unfortunately, can tell you all the things about God. All different things. We have tons of this memorized. But do we know him in a relational fashion? Do we know how he thinks? Do we know how? Do we, do we recognize when he moves? Like our prayer team is talking about, do we hear him? Do we hear his voice in our lives? Because ladies and gentlemen, from the beginning of scripture until now, it's just been God talking to his people. God talks to his people today. We're just way too busy to hear it. We're just way too busy to hear it. And so Jesus tells 
He's talking to a Pharisee in John 3.16. He's talking to a leader of the Jewish people, the, 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 not the priests, but the leaders. And this, this leader's confused. He doesn't understand, what do you mean eternal life? And, and he doesn't quite get it. And he thinks that, well, I'm going to have eternal life because I'm, I'm a Jew. I'm from Abraham. And Jesus is like, no, that's not what it's about. It's not about, it's not about who your family is or, or, or any of that kind of stuff. It's about what you believe. And I found, talking with both adults and students, that one of the biggest areas of struggle is understanding how much love God possesses. That we struggle so much because I gotta be honest, I think a lot of us are pretty aware of where we fall short. I think if we were honest and, and no one was, was watching, we, we, could, we could list out all the reasons that God probably shouldn't love us. And I have students ask me all the time, is there anything God can't do? Is there anything God can't do? And the, and the standard Sunday school answer is, no, of course, there's nothing God can't do. That's not actually the biblical answer. The biblical answer is, yes, there are certain things God cannot do because he has chosen not to be able to do them. And the number one thing he has chosen that he cannot do is he cannot choose to remove his love from you. He can't. He can't help himself. He has created a system in the new covenant through the blood of Jesus that he cannot help but love you no matter what. We understand his love to be unconditional, but yet we believe it's conditional for me. That God only loves me when I'm going to church and I'm singing my worship music and I'm only doing the right things at the right time and I'm only saying the right things. That's only when God loves me. That makes it a conditional love. If God only loved you when you were doing the right things, that is a conditional love. And that's not the love of God. The love of God is unconditional. That's why it's scandalous. That's why it doesn't make any earthly sense. Because in 1 John chapter 4, if you want to turn there, you can. We're going to look at 1 John real quick. And then, and then you want to keep your finger there because we're going to end there as well. 1 John Chapter 4, verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Love is not just something that God feels. It's not just something he experiences. It's not just something he expresses. It is the defining characteristic of who he is. And he created us to be the object of that love. To, the, to be the object of that affection. Because we, we have to understand, God didn't need us. Because if God needed something, therefore he is not God. A, a true God stands alone all by himself. I've heard old pastors say all the time, God and God alone, God and God alone, God and God alone. He was by himself. He didn't need nobody else. But he chose to create us. He chose to create us to give an outlet for the love that, not just that he has, but that he is. If we grasp, if we if we were to grasp this for just a second, and and really kind of wash away some potentially some some teachings we've had or some understanding that we've had, and to look at what the Bible actually says about God's love, is that He cannot help Himself. 
If you've yet to believe in Jesus this morning, if you're a guest or, or, or maybe you've been here your whole life and you still don't believe, if you've yet to believe in Jesus, God loves you right now in this moment, in this instance. So loves, annoyingly loves, obnoxiously loves, stares at you while you're sleeping kind of love. Whether you want him to or not. That's one of the hardest things that I've had to learn about God is even when I want to push him away, he goes, you're cute. You actually for a second think that you can get away from my love? (laughs) You're so cute. No, my love is not dependent on you, young man. Because if it was, I'd be done a long time ago. If God's love was dependent on me, I was done before I ever met him. And we recognize that. We recognize that the verse that says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, great, but now I believe in Jesus, so now every time I sin, God no longer loves me. What? 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 God loves you unconditionally. He cannot stop loving you. And in the Old Testament, he takes one of his prophets and he demonstrates this. And... and i got to be honest, the more I read this and the more I've studied this story, it's one of the most powerful stories in Scripture. And it's the book of Hosea. And if you're like me, before this week, I had to turn to the table of contents to know exactly. I knew about where Hosea was, but I had to turn to the table of contents. So if you need to, go to table of contents and then find the book of Hosea. I mean Hosea chapter 1. I mean Hosea chapter 1. And during this time, God had prophets. God didn't speak to everyone in the Jewish culture. He didn't speak to all people. He spoke to one person. He spoke to the prophet. That person spoke to Israel. And at this point, the the kingdom of Israel was divided, and, and Hosea was a prophet to the northern kingdom. And the prophet was the most well known person in the community. Like he was. We don't, we don't really have a way to understand it in our culture. Like, he would have been, like, the best athlete and the best musician and the best of everything rolled into one, and that's how popular this, this person would have been. Everyone would have known Hosea walking down the street. Every single person would have known Hosea. And in the Message Bible, we're going to read the command of God to Hosea. And I love the way this reads because, I'm sorry, sometimes uh, I read it, I think it was the, the NIV version. It really cleans this up, and it's just not accurate. Okay? The first time, the first time, ready? The first time God spoke to Hosea, this is what he said. Find a whore and marry her. I think it was the NIV said, find a promiscuous woman. That's not what she was. Okay? She was a prostitute. Make this whore the mother of your children. And here's why. The whole country has become a whorehouse, unfaithful to me, God. And here's great, one of the best parts of the whole story. Hosea did it. I personally, like, if this was the story of Brian, the prophet, there'd be a whole list of questions that Brian had. So, like, can you start from the beginning? I just, that was, that was hard. I didn't. Like, you you really mean, like, you want me, a prophet, a man of God, 
you want me to go and like I have to go there and 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 marry one of them? That that doesn't make any sense. That, that's that's real hard. He says, make her your wife. He picked Gomer. Don't name your kid Gomer. <laughs> don't. If you take anything from my lesson today, don't name your kid Gomer. Daughter of a name I can't pronounce. She got pregnant and gave him a son. And the story goes on and he has three kids. And each one of the kids has a, has a distinct name. And Hosea did exactly what God asked him to do. He went and married someone who was the least of these in their culture. Not only, like we, I, I just, we cannot fully grasp this moment in time. Hosea was God's voice to his people. And, and I've, I've learned almost nine years into ministry that when you begin to, to speak to people, there's a certain expectation of how you're going to behave. And I'm, I'm assuming today marrying a prostitute is generally frowned upon in most church cultures. But God commanded it. And they have three kids and things are going pretty well. And then if you turn to chapter 3, you see where the story turns again. We don't know when, we don't know exactly what happened, but what we know is one day Hosea woke up and Gomer's gone. And we don't know the time frame from, from when Gomer left to when God spoke to Hosea again, but Hosea went from having what he thought was, was a happy marriage and three kids and they were doing the thing and he was, he was, the, he was the prophet and God was speaking to him and then Gomer is gone. And not only is Gomer gone, she's gone back to where Hosea found her. She's back at the red light district. She's back selling her body. And this is God's commandment. Then God ordered me. Start all over. Love your wife again. Your wife who's in bed with her latest boyfriend. Your cheating wife. Love her the way I, God, Love the Israelite people. And you can transition that to the way I, God, love you. This morning, right now, in this very moment. Love her the way that God loves you. Even as they flirt and party with every God that takes their fancy. And then, Hosea, I did it. I paid good money to get her back. It cost me the price of a slave. Then I told her, from now on, you're living with me. No more whoring, no more sleeping around. You're living with me and I'm living with you. When I started studying this, one of the things that God has challenged me to do when I read stories in Scripture is to put myself in the places of the characters. And to imagine what it would have been like to actually do this. So Hosea is a man of God. He wakes up one morning and Gomer's 
gone. And he knows where she went. He knows that she has left and gone back to what she was before. And he's raising his kids. He's doing his thing. And then God says, start all over. I want you to go find her. And I want you to marry her again. So I imagine Hosea started taking a walk. And he left his home. And he went beyond where men of God should ever go. He went to a place that, that men of God don't go. And then, real quick, sidetrack, I, I realized in that statement, we do realize that, that there's places men of God don't go because men of God don't go there. Because if men of God went there as men of God, they would no longer be places that men of God shouldn't go. Because when men of God go places, they bring the presence of God with them and they bring healing. But too often, the men of God and the women of God had said, ooh, that's too dirty for us, and it just keeps getting worse. So there would be no more places that the men of God shouldn't go if the men of God went there and brought the presence of God with them. But Hosea goes there. I began to think, how would he find her? Would he have to ask people? Can you imagine those conversations? Maybe he went to another prostitute. Hey, have you... Have you seen Gomer? Have you seen her? I, she, she left and I don't know where she went. Oh, yeah. I, I saw her just a couple days. She was, she was, she was with another guy. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's okay. But do, do, you, do you know where she went? Have you seen her? Do you know where she might have gone? Well, yeah, she's normally like, like three streets down that way. So then he walks past more women and... and more men. And I got to thinking, did he have to ask a guy? Did he have to stop a guy and say, hey, have, have you seen Gomer? Have you seen, have you seen my wife? What if he had? What if he had? Oh, man, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't know that you guys were still, I, she was down here and, and, and she, was, she was offering and I, just, I, didn't, I didn't know. My, I'm, Jose, I'm sorry, I didn't know. It's okay, where, where can I find her? That way. So he goes and he, he finds her being sold. She's being auctioned off. Did he have to outbid somebody? Scripture says that he paid the price of a slave for her. Hosea gets there and that's, that's my wife. That's my wife, man. And the guy auctioning her off, I don't care who she is. This is the price right now. And Hosea said, whatever it costs. He bought back what was already his. He bought back what was already his. 
We are all gods to begin with, but because we're not good at being gods, because unfortunately, we're all gomers in this room. Every single one of us is so prone to go back to what we used to do, to forget how good God was, to forget he rescued us out of disgusting nastiness, to bring us to a place where we can have a family, to have community, to have peace, to have a roof over our head. And we're like, you know what? I'm itching to go back to what I used to know because that's what I was. And we forget that's not who you are anymore. She was no longer a prostitute. She was Hosea's wife. You are a child of God, purchased with a price. And too often we just walk right back in it. And this whole time that I'm preparing this message, because I'm a guy, I'm thinking from Hosea's perspective. And then I asked the staff on Monday to help me, and that was a terrible idea because they're good at it. And there's some, we got ladies on our staff, and I said, what about from, from Gomer's perspective? And the story changes. She's on the auction block. She's probably in chains, just covered in shame, covered in guilt. And... Y'all, you know what I'm talking about when, when, when you're doing things that you aren't supposed to be doing and, and, and you, you hear a worship song in your head or a verse comes to your brain and like that's the last thing that you want to see right now. Here's Gomer and here comes Hosea around the corner. Can you imagine for a second? And you can because we've all been there. I don't deserve it. Don't buy me back. I don't deserve it. I left you. I hurt you. I'm just going to do it again. I'm just going to do it again. I did the wrong thing again. I deserve to be here. Just let me be. Leave me alone. You go raise my kids. You go do it. I'm not good enough. Leave me here. Let them buy me. Let them do whatever they want with me. I'm not good enough for you. I'm just going to keep hurting you. Hosea, what if I end up here again? Hosea says, then I'll buy you again. God says, I'll buy you again. I'm never going to stop chasing you. I'm never going to let you go. I'm never going anywhere. Nothing in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God found in Christ Jesus, Paul says in Romans 8. What if I end up here again? What if I try, Jose? What if, what if I try? What if, what, if, what if this is just who I am? What if I'm not good enough to be a wife? What if I'm not good enough to be yours? I, what if? I so love you. I unconditionally love you. My love for you is not dependent on you. I'll be here every time. I'll buy you back every time until you know how much I love you. Until you are finally convinced how much I love you. You're still in 1 John. Look at chapter 4, verse 11. 
This is our job. This is our role. This is our purpose. If you're a gomer who's been bought by Hosea, your job is to go find other gomers. You're supposed to go to the place where gomers are found. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Our love should be unconditional as well. But we've created this church system, and I'm not talking about our church, I'm talking about the church, the big church, all the churches, church people, Christian people, that if any of us started to do this, if we started to go to the places where gomers are, we're going to hear about it for some good old-fashioned church people. Did you know where Brian went last night? Do you know? Does Dana know? Does Dana know where Brian was last night? He was out with the gomers. He was. I saw him. I saw him. He was with those dirty, nasty gomers. And my question is, why weren't you with me? Stop talking about the gomers being bad. Stop pointing your accusing finger at them because God's not. God so loves the world and everyone in it, and dang it, so should we. And when my, my second message I ever preached here, I don't know who it was, and I don't care, I took it as the greatest compliment ever. Someone came up to Pastor Mark and said, oh, this new youth guy you got, is he just going to be talking about love and tattoos? Yes. That's it. That's all I got. I don't have a seminary degree. I don't have history. I don't have, I didn't grow up in the church. I have God and his love and everyone else needs it. And I'm going to keep doing this and I'm going to keep preaching this message until every single one of these seats are filled with Gomer and Gomer and a worse Gomer and an ugly Gomer and a disgusting Gomer and a slutty Gomer and another one. And you should too. You should, it should stir something inside of you that I cannot sit still anymore. I can't do it. There are too many people going to hell in our community for us to sit in here and go, oh, God's good in this church. He's good in this church. He's good out there too. John 3, 1 John 3, 16. The other 3, 16 of John. I'm getting winded. I should really breathe. By this we know love. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we also ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. That's your pride. That's what is other people going to think. Stop thinking that sin is a disease you can catch. It doesn't rub off on you, I promise. It will, it will if you let it. But here's the deal, Hosea, Hosea did not become a prostitute when he went to the place of prostitutes. Did you catch that? Anyone else? Hosea did not become a prostitute when he went to the place of prostitutes. He did not join Gomer in her sin. He went and said, this is not who you are. This is not who you are. I've decided that my purpose, my role, my job for the rest of my life is to tell every gomer I ever meet. I was a gomer too. I was a gomer too. I was caught in my own sin. I was about to be sold to something worse. And God said, no. No, 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 no. I bought you. And every time I go back to that slave block, which I do, church, I'm sorry, I go back. God comes and finds me and says, that's not who you are. You are my child, made in my image, filled with my love. Go and tell every other Gomer. And my prayer is that that is the, the, the defining characteristic of this church. 
that we go to the place where gomers are found and we said, we have a place for you. It ain't perfect. Neither am I. But we'll love you. We'll love you no matter what. But I'm going to go back. We know. We do too. We know. And we're going to find you. And we're going to bring you again. And we're going to bring you again. And we're going to bring you again until you understand that this is who you are. That you are a child of God and we are going to love you so much. Let us be a church that so loves the world. Let us be a people who follow Hosea's lead and go to the place where gomers are found.